0: You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your host, Vanessa Weisbrod. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod, coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. And I want to welcome my co-host, Joanna McMahon, to the studio. Welcome, Joanna.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: So today's podcast is all about budgeting and planning tricks for the kitchen. We're gonna talk about the time that people think it's too difficult or expensive to eat healthy while on the gluten-free diet. We all know it's possible, but it doesn't always feel that way. To help us discuss this topic, we have budgeting food lover, Beth Monsell from Budget Bites to discuss some of her favorite meal planning and budgeting tips. Welcome Beth, we're so glad that you could join us.
2: Thanks Vanessa, thank you for having me.
0: So Beth, tell us a little bit about Budget Bites and what your approach is to meal planning.
2: Sure. So, Budget advice is something I started out of necessity about 10 years ago when I was just trying to squeeze every last penny out of my own budget, and I had just graduated with a degree in nutritional science, so I wasn't okay with just resorting to eating ramen noodles every day. So, I started applying some of the techniques that I learned for controlling costs in commercial kitchens to my own kitchen, and that would be things like really using ingredients wisely, making sure that there's not a lot of food waste, and um, kind of uh, preparing meals in bulk or in batches. Um, And so I've been doing that for about 10 years, and uh, to my surprise, there were a lot of other people out there that needed this information too, so I've been doing that ever since. And my approach to meal planning is to make it easy, enjoyable, and delicious while staying within a budget, and you do that by... Combining ingredients uh, really wisely, and again, just making sure that you're using your time wisely as well. So, doing that batch cooking and saving things in your freezer and things like that—that
0: that is so important when you have little kids running in the ra- around the house too. You know, Joanne and I both have little kids, and it makes it really hard to find time to make good food for for dinner when you're just, you know, you're running between school and activities, and then trying to get dinner on the table and still find you know time with your husband. So I think that it's – I'm really excited that you're you're here to talk to us more about this. So what do you yeah, think – Yeah, because your
2: money – your time is money as well.
0: Exactly. So what are some of the common Definitely. traps that uh, people tend to fall into when they're trying to focus on convenience in the kitchen?
2: I think probably the biggest trap that people fall into is not realizing how much they're paying for convenience. So a lot of people will buy prepackaged meals or maybe even just like pre sliced vegetables and they don't really recognize how much more they're paying for the few minutes that it's going to save them if they did it themselves. So cooking on a budget is highly personal. So it really just depends on where your balance between convenience and cost lies. But it's really important to take a close look at the convenience product that you're buying and how much it would cost if you actually did it yourself. So that's something that people kind of have to feel out for themselves. But if you don't even look at it, you're going to be wasting a lot of money.
0: What about with um, like frozen vegetables? Do you do you find the same thing with frozen vegetables as with the pre-chopped ones?
2: Frozen vegetables are actually pretty unique, and that's something that I use a lot. Um, they are pre-chopped, but you don't have like a, a person behind the counter chopping it for you. So right. <laughs> the cost for the grocer is going to be a little bit. quickly so the grocer or the manufacturer is not going to have a high cost of um, spoiled food. So if you buy like the fresh chopped vegetables, they'll spoil really quickly so it costs the grocer a lot more to provide those Mm -hmm. because if they don't sell them then they just have to throw them out. But a frozen vegetable, that can stay in the freezer for months. So they have a really low overhead there. And so even though those are pre-chopped, you can actually usually get those for about the same price or sometimes even less than fresh vegetables that aren't chopped.
0: So my local grocery store had a sale today on frozen vegetables that for all, every bag of the store brand was 99 cents. And so I bought, nice. I bought a lot. But... I love them because, you know, it's so easy to, my my kids thankfully love the quinoa pasta and the lentil pasta, so, which is more expensive, but um, I can toss it with, you know, peas and carrots or edamame, and they're really happy with that for dinner, and it's also pretty nutritious for them as well, so that's something that I really like to, to do.
2: Yeah, I actually lean on frozen vegetables quite a bit for that reason. You can keep them stashed in your freezer. You don't have to worry about them going limp. And they're so easy just to stir into any soup,
1: pasta, casserole, anything, and just up that nutritional value. So they're awesome. That's great. Not to mention, the, you have, need to get something on the table quick, so you rely on last-minute stir-fry. Yes. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> but stir-fry
2: is also a great way to use up those vegetables that are sitting in the back of your fridge. So stir-fries are awesome.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So what do you recommend is the first step when you're shifting to a meal planning approach as opposed to just winging it?
2: Uh, I think the very most important thing and the thing that a lot of people don't do is start small. Uh, Like I said before, meal planning and cooking on a budget are both really personal and it's going to be different for everybody depending on your schedule, what type of foods you like to eat. So, You need to start small and feel out what works for you. So I always recommend just start with one recipe per week, plan out, you know, say, I'm going to make this pasta this week, get the groceries, you know, put it on your schedule when you're going to make it, and then the next week do two recipes, the next week do three recipes, and that way you can figure out what types of things work with your schedule, what types of recipes you like as leftovers, um, and just what's going to work for you in general, because there's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to meal planning.
0: What's your favorite leftover recipe?
2: Um, oh boy, <laughs> there are so many. Um, I think anything that's like a soup or a stew um, is really good for leftovers because the texture doesn't change much, and then the flavor usually actually gets better as it sits in the refrigerator. So soup and stews are probably the best.
1: How about you, Joanna? Hmm. I would agree with that. I think, like just being or chili, like you know, just being able to take stuff and yeah, throw it in. Mm-hmm.
0: See, I will 100% always say brisket. <laughs> like if I'm cooking a brisket, I'll cook like eight pounds of brisket and fr- even I'll even freeze it a lot of times just so that I can, yep. make, you know, like day one braised brisket, day two quesadillas, day three tacos, you know, just like continuing to use the brisket in as many things as humanly possible.
2: Exactly, I love doing that too, and what I do when I cook a big batch like that is I'll freeze it in a smaller portion, so I don't even have to do it on day one, day two, day three. I can have a portion of brisket, you know, one week, and then the next portion the next week, so yeah, freezing those big batches is a huge help.
0: It's so delicious. Totally. And then you don't have to spend, like, the whole day roasting another brisket, because you have it in your freezer. Mm-hmm. So on your website, you talk about budget savers and budget sinkers. Can you talk about that a little bit for our listeners?
2: Sure. So different ingredients are going to impact your overall budget at different rates because they cost different um, per pound, basically. So a budget saver is going to be an ingredient that's really going to bulk up your meal but not increase the cost a lot. So generally these are things like whole grains, rice, pasta, um Beans and legumes, Um, I love lentils, they're so versatile, but then there are also a lot of vegetables that can be used as bulking agents and budget savers, things like cabbage, potatoes, sweet potatoes, and then depending on the season, even things like zucchini or eggplant. So those are going to be your budget savers, and if you use those to base your meals and then add the budget sinkers in small amounts, you can still have the best of both worlds. So the budget sinkers are going to be a really expensive per pound ingredients like meat cheese and nuts um and things like that mm. that's really
0: interesting so so it's just
1: shifting it's just shifting the focus of your meal of what the like central part of the meal is built around exactly it's like tweaking the ratio of those expensive
2: ingredients to the inexpensive ingredients so like one thing that i do a lot is if i see a recipe that i like i'll actually cut the amount of meat in half and add back something like beans or lentils in the place of that meat. Um, And it really brings the cost down quite a bit just by altering that one ingredient.
0: I also think that timely purchasing is is a big thing. Also, I'll go back to brisket because, you know, it's the holidays, so brisket is big in our house right now. I don't cook brisket all that often. But I've noticed that around – like, these times, the brisket is, like, $4.99 a pound at the grocery store, as opposed to other times when it's, like, between 15 and $25 a pound. So, Oh,
2: absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, you want to keep your eye on those sales. And there's some really cool apps out there. Um, one is called Flip. It's F-L-I-P-P that um, it's kind of like an aggregate for all the sales flyers for the stores in your area. So before you go grocery shopping, you can just sit at home, browse through all the sales flyers and see if there's anything on special at the store that you might want to work into your menu that week or that you can even just stash in your freezer for later. So yeah, definitely keep an eye on those sales.
0: That's a great uh, suggestion. So, on your website, you also talk a lot about kitchen staples for cooking to get rid of the frills um, and fancy gadget approach. What are your favorite workhorse staples or preparation techniques?
2: Um, I think the item that probably gets the most use in my kitchen is just my basic sheet pans. I use a lot of roasting food, especially vegetables, and you can just, like, roast anything in a sheet pan. You can get a set of three for, like, 10 $15. And you can roast meat, you can roast vegetables, you know, you can make cookies on them, you know, whatever you want to do. But I use a sheet
0: pan, like, almost every single day. How many sheet pans do you have in your house?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, three, four, five, at least five, I think. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm sure I've gotten a root of a few over the years, too.
0: <laughs> you know what, I'm going to make my husband listen to this podcast tonight, and him that he has to let me get more sheet pans I only have three sheet pans and it's constantly a problem
2: <laughs> yeah washing those every day
0: <laughs> I mean, there are just so many times that I need more than three sheet pans yeah
1: well there's also the ones that, like of the difference of like the ones that have like the edging versus just the flat ones and like times you need different even styles of sheet pans
0: have the ones that have the edges on them, but I use them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other gadgets in your kitchen that you're huge fans of?
2: Um, I love a deep skillet, so it looks kind of just like a regular skillet, but it has slightly higher straight size, so it's kind of like a cross between a skillet and a soup pot, mm-hmm. and you can do a lot of different things with those as well, so you can just use it as a regular skillet, or you can make, like, um, kind of like stove top casserole type things, um, like one pot pastas, you can do all of that in your little one deep skillet, and a lot of, if you get an oven safe one too, that makes it even more flexible, because then you can just pop it in the oven um, for different, you know, if you need to broil something at the end, or even use it kind of like a Dutch
1: oven if the lid
2: is safe for the oven as well.
1: What would you say is... The... I was going to say my Dutch oven. Your Dutch oven, Yeah. Like yeah, my little that's my cool. love, my love, Chrissette. I could not live without my love, Chrissette. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so, what about on the flip side? What do you think is the most sort of expensive gadget that people get roped into buying that they don't really need?
1: Um,
2: I'm gonna be really controversial and say the instant pot. <laughs> <laughs> I have I to have agree. <laughs> <one 'cause> I, <laughs> I
1: have one because I wanted one, and I had the funds to
2: get it, and I thought it'd be fun to experiment with. But honestly, it does all the same things that a $25 slow cooker can do, just faster. So if you're on a budget, you know, just get your slow cooker and you can do all the same things. But um, I, I find that with the Instant Pot, a lot of the things are just easier to cook on the stovetop, and then the pots and pans are easier to clean than the Instant Pot. So mm-hmm. I think that's more definitely like a fun gadget to have, not a necessity.
0: So today I was experimenting with the Yo Nana machine. Um, I got one <laughs> as a gift, and um, it sat in my basement for like two years at least. Uh, but I just never got around to trying it, and so today was the first time that I, I broke it out to try. And, you know, I've made um, well ice cream in quotes uh, with just bananas, and you know, other frozen fruits. Lots of times, just using the food processor. Okay. Uh, and so I, I was like, oh, I've never tried this banana machine. I should bring it out and just see how it goes. And it was actually I was actually pretty impressed with the texture. It was much creamier than with the food processor, but definitely not something like my five year old and two year old are not gonna notice a difference in in the frozen treat. And how often do you
1: actually make, you know, the
0: frozen (laughs) treats? So you know
2: what
0: we get most I I would say I've done it more recently than I have ever before since my son was diagnosed with a dairy allergy, as well as my older one who has gluten, who's gluten-free for, because of celiac. Just because it's really hard to find good dairy-free ice cream that he that he will enjoy. He also can't have soy, so that's another. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Had an issue. So he really likes the banana based ones. So it's, I mean, it's also cheaper. Those little tiny pints of dairy free ice cream are like $6. Right. <laughs> Whereas a banana is like 13 cents, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So
1: that's but it. no, definitely there's so many of those traps that you easily fall into of getting, like, you know, um, I, I have a little, like, homemade ice cream treat thing that I was so excited to get to. And I don't think we've even taken it out of the box yet.
2: (laughs) It takes up so much room in the kitchen. Another one's probably the air fryer. The air fryer is so Uh, popular right now. Yeah. And Uh, people have been asking if I'm gonna start experimenting with it, but I'm just like not interested in it at all.
0: I'm completely obsessed with my air fryer, but I did not get the, like, the huge ones that people have that make, like, the little basket of food. I got the Cuisinart one where it's a combo air fryer, toaster, convection oven. Um, So it does lots of things. So it it sits where my toaster used to sit. And it just has a function to air fry. And I have to say I've been really oh, cool. impressed with it for things like Brussels sprouts or any vegetables. Um I've done fried shrimp mm-hmm. in it, chicken wings were amazing in it. But then there were a lot of things that were total failures. Like you definitely cannot air fry a donut. <laughs> like don't even try. It doesn't work. <laughs> to turn into a pancake. <laughs> um it so one recipe helped, like the donut holes did hold up but they just the the fried ones were a million times better i mean they were edible but they were not yeah. not amazing um right so i think there are some things you can air fry that are amazing and some things that it just it needs that oil oh latkes for hanukkah i tried to air fry potato latkes total failure so oh, no. <laughs> anyways back to the point <laughs> so in addition to you know saving money what can you what kind of tips can you offer to our listeners about focusing on the nutritional value of their meal as well as its ease and price point so coincidentally a lot
2: of the things that you can do to add nutritional to your meals are the same things that you can do to lower the cost, which is working in more of those whole grains and beans and the vegetables. Um, a lot of people think that vegetables are really expensive, but when you compare the per-price pound of that vegetable to like meat or dairy, it's still half the cost. Um, and like we were talking about earlier, if you're using the frozen vegetables, then you're going to have even more um, budget benefits there. So um, like I said before, I like to kind of cut half the meat, add back in some legumes, and you get more um, vitamins and minerals and fiber, and just work in as many of those vegetables as I can, and it really brings the cost down and ups that nutritional value through the feeling, and it's kind of like two birds with one stone.
0: What about shopping seasonally? Will people see a big difference in the cost of ingredients by buying things that are in season now?
2: you can sometimes um i feel like a lot of times now we have this global um produce market where it's like things are being grown year-round so um sometimes it doesn't make as big of a difference but when it does it really pays off so look for things that the grocery store has a glut of and a lot of times those will be in season produce items so um again browse your sales flyers see what the grocery store is trying to get rid of and take advantage of that. And a lot of times you can freeze those extra fruits and vegetables, um, which is even more helpful. Uh, but also, look for fruits and vegetables that are a little bit more sturdy. Because, again, those are slower to spoil. So the grocery store doesn't lose as much money on them. And they will then be priced lower. So things like the sweet potatoes, cabbage, celery, they're all—they're not as delicate as things like spring mix. So they're going to be priced lower. So really lean on those fruits and vegetables.
0: That's a great tip. How about tips for saving money while shopping locally sourced ingredients?
2: Um, I think it's pretty much the same thing. So look for those fruits and vegetables that are going to hold up because the produce markets are not going to lose as much money on them. And this is where you're going to see more of an impact on seasonal ingredients because these markets are getting their – produce locally so it's stuff that's grown in the season
1: so you will definitely see a benefit of buying in season produce when you're buying locally.
0: What about different types of you find stores? any of that
1: with farmer's markets or anything? What was that? Like what about like do you do any farmer's markets or anything or have any tips for like negotiating with any of those possible local sellers? Um, I don't do too much Uh, farmers markets. When I started the blog, I
2: was living in Baton Rouge and they did have a really great farmers market there that had phenomenal prices on uh, produce, but I haven't really had that since. So I don't do a whole lot of shopping at farmers markets, but another place where you can get really great great produce are international markets. And every city I've lived in so far has had at least one really big um, international or Asian grocery store. And for whatever reason, They have produce that's just really great quality and really low cost. And my suspicion is because those other cultures are buying and using more produce, so the grocery stores don't lose as much money on them. They go through it faster. But um, definitely check out. If you have any international markets in your area, go look at their produce. You will be very surprised.
0: What about just other types of stores within local areas? You know, I'm constantly – Surprised going into Whole Foods at how much the prices have come down on some of the produce items. Um, I I just I know, wow. regularly check because I found it interesting since the whole Amazon takeover how the prices have really changed. Not so much on the gluten-free specific products, but on the, the natural products. Um, just y- yesterday, I, when I was buying bananas... I went to two group grocery stores because I needed to have gluten-free graham crackers and they didn't have the dairy-free ones at, um, at, Whole, at Whole Foods. So I had just bought bananas at Whole Foods for $0.13 cents a banana and then went to another grocery store, which was more what I would consider mainstream, I guess, and they were $0.30 cents a banana, which I thought was like, wow, that's like double the price. Yeah.
2: I just tell people that all the time. Whole Foods really suffers from that whole paycheck stigma, but mm-hmm. I go there all the time, or at least I used to when I was closer to one. And their prices were routinely lower than our local grocery store. And they do carry a lot of that local produce. And when they do have sales, they are really good, even yeah. on meat and things. And yeah. then when you're looking at your dry goods, their basic 365 brand dry goods, their prices are really awesome. So don't ever look Whole Foods; you might be really surprised.
0: Yeah, I've definitely been surprised many times there, so it's a great tip. So, Beth, I want to thank you so much for all of this great information. Um, I've learned a lot today, and I hope that our listeners have as well. So thank you so much. This is fun. Before we sign off t- for today, yeah. we have our grocery store tip of the week brought to you thanks to the generous support of Giant and Martin's Foods. Do you understand the differences between the best buy, sell-by, and use-by dates? I didn't until Joanna wrote this amazing tip for us. So here we go. The best by <laughs> dates <laughs> are the only are only recommendations and have nothing to do with safety. They indicate that the taste or texture of a product may change, but they're still safe to eat. Now the sell by dates indicate how long a store is willing to display a product on their shelves. It is not a safety indicator as the product is still good for a few days or weeks after you bring it home. And finally, the use-by dates are a safety indication. These dates indicate that the product is not safe to use after the listed date. So I hope you've all learned something from that today like I did. Well, we're all out of time for today. I hope you've all enjoyed the podcast, and we will talk to you again next time.